How many of you have ever given blood, gone to give blood? I don't know what it's like at the place where you go, but where I go, they put the cuff on you and they check your blood pressure. So one time I went to do that recently, and the person who was doing it kind of paused and goes, hmm. I said, what? And they go, oh, it's really nothing. What do you mean nothing? Well, you may want to get your blood pressure checked. I said, that's what you're here for. (laughs) Aren't you doing that? Well, it's not too bad. But so anyway, I, I did what anyone would do. I went to the Internet to find out what was what I could do. Right. And when I got to the Internet, one of the things that they talked about was weight and how much you weigh contributes to a higher blood pressure. So I talked with my wife and we did this Whole30 thing. Have you heard of this Whole30 where you take things out and just add things? You know, you remove dairy and sugar and those kinds of things and you add proteins and different things like that. And so what that did then was it created space in my blood pressure. It created a margin in my blood pressure so that my blood pressure went down so that on those occasions when it needed to go up, (laughs) it wouldn't go too far up. So it created margins. And that's what this series is all about, is creating space, creating margins, breathing, giving you the opportunity to breathe and to make things okay in your life. Because sometimes we get so full of things and we have so many things that there's no space for something else. And if we try to add that something else, it becomes crushing to us. And in our physical life, uh, we sometimes adjust what we eat to change certain things to create margins. So too in our spiritual life, there are things that we can eat or devour or bring into our lives that will help create margins so that when we need to step up to what it is that God has planned for us, we're able to do that. It creates margins. And the thing that does that is the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, and verses 1 and 2. The epistle, uh, the epistle of 1 Peter is known as the book of living hope. Uh, Peter writes in chapter 1, describing the hope, the living hope that we have, the salvation that we've gained as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, he tells us about the great salvation in chapter 1, talking about how marvelous it is to know Christ and to have him as your Savior, and how that gives you this living hope. At the end of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, Peter tells you how to live a life that measures up to that great salvation that is yours. In essence, what he does is he gives us an opportunity Uh, now that we believe, to continue growing and being more like Christ wants us to be. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, we discover three ways to create this space or this margin in our life. Create it so that when it's necessary to step up to what it is that God wants us to do or called us to do, we're able to do that. We're not overburdened by things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Three ways to create margins through a healthy diet. The first way is to remove the old ways of life. Remove the old ways of life. You are who you are by choice. God can change you. So if there are things in your life that you want to rid yourself of, God can help you to do that. And Peter tells us a couple of things that need to be removed. He says, put away, lay aside, cleanse, strip off, however you want to describe it. He says, take these things away. Now, this idea of laying off or taking off is something that Peter's readers would be very familiar with. Because early Christian baptism, what they would do is they would show up in their old robe, and before they would go into the waters of baptism, they would take off, lay off, strip off the old robe, go into the waters of baptism, come out and put on a new robe. Because that way they could see this is about a new life. And in Christ, we have a new life. And so we strip away, lay off things that are part of the old life. And please understand something that Peter's saying here. He's saying, you are able to do this. Now, it's, it's difficult, and I'm not trying to make it sound like, well, you know, just, and it happens. But I'm saying this is possible for us to happen. Uh, this is a, a, a something that James wrote about, laying off, casting off aside. Uh, Paul writes about it. He, he talks about casting off, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, doing things like that. So this is a very familiar concept with those that are uh, listening or reading this passage or listening to the letter being read at the church, to lay aside, to take off. When I was in high school, I had a job at a hospital. I was 16 years old, my first real live job, and I was an orderly in a hospital. And uh, I was the guy that was kind of do whatever nurses and doctors don't do. And one of the things that I remember most vividly is that we were always the guys that would take off whatever was not necessary. The, the doctors, the nurses, they never came in and put bandages on until... Everything was taken off. You know, a guy comes in with a car wreck, and he's got injuries, and they're going to be treated, and they look at him, and then they say, okay, get rid of this. And you take off the old so that you can put on the new that will help you heal. And that's the idea here. Lay aside, take off, put away. And if you look at these things, these are kind of antisocial behaviors. You know, we are now a part of a family. And when you trust in Christ, you become a part of a family. And so you want to lay off and put aside these kind of antisocial behaviors so that you can function in the family. He says, first of all, he says, put away or set aside malice. Malice. It's kind of the opposite of excellence. Uh, there's a kind of a disruptive force in the fellowship. Conduct that is bent on doing harm to others. You know, I have malice towards you. I, I want to do something that's going to disrupt your life. So maybe people will reflect on my life a little better. And Peter says, set that aside. Put that away. He also uses the word deceit. The idea of deceit is exactly the idea of to catch with bait. You know, to catch something, to ensnare, to attain something for yourself at the expense of others. I'm going to deceive you. I lived in Wisconsin for a time, and we did bobcat trapping in the school that I went to. And what we would do is we would trap bobcats, and then we would tag them so that the Department of Natural Resources could tr keep track of them. And I remember how they designed these traps or these snares so beautifully. You know, you would have the snare, then they would put the scent, and then they would cover it in snow so you couldn't see it. 
that's deceit, right? You don't see what's coming. And the bobcat would get trapped and tagged and, and that would go on. Uh, Peter is telling us to put those things aside. Remove them. You want to create space in your life, margins in your life. Then there are some things that need to be set aside, pushed aside, so that God can work in your life. He says deceit, and then he says hypocrisy. Uh, play acting, self-contradiction. The obvious and most probably familiar example of hypocrisy in the Bible is Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, the whole, everybody's selling their goods and getting together in the church and everyone's celebrating each other. And Ananias come to Peter and say, okay, here we're giving all of our land. We sold everything and here is every bit of it. But remember, they had kept part of it to themselves and had hidden some and kept back. But they wanted to present to the group how magnanimous they were, when in reality they weren't. They, of course, dropped dead after their hypocrisy. <laughs> but that's hypocrisy, right? You present yourself one way, and it's done another way. You are outwardly playing a part. Inside, though, it's not working. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they would be the first pick, right? You see those guys, they're clean, they're beautiful, they look wonderful. That's the guy I want on my team of spirituality. But remember what he said? You're like a sepulcher inside. You're dead inside. So on the outside they look good, but on the inside they're dead. Hypocrisy. Uh, set that aside. Do something different with that. Uh, envy. One man's grudge against another. I envy you because you have success that I don't have success. You possess something that I don't possess. Uh, I have this feeling of displeasure by seeing or witnessing your success. I'm envious of that. And sometimes, you know, we, we forget uh, that people in our own house were sometimes envious of them. You know, envious of my spouse because they get to do this or that or envious. He's saying there's no place for that in the family. Push that aside. Lay it off. Strip it away. Take it away. Uh, Jesus was a victim of envy, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they envied Jesus. Why? He had crowds of people around him all the time. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus and see Jesus, and they were envious of him. Uh, Jesus was unaffected by that. Uh, some say envy is the last sin to die because it's such an obvious thing. But anyway, Peter says, lay that aside, set aside, strip away, remove. And then he says, all slanders. Uh, this is the result of envy, right? You see someone's success, and so you run them down. You see their success, so you say bad things about them. Put off, lay aside, get rid of those things. One day my phone started to buzz. You know how your phone does that. And I looked, and it was a text from my oldest son. And he said, Dad, do you want any name something? I said, no, thanks, I'm good. Minutes, not even minutes later, my phone buzzes again. I pick it up, it's my son. Dad, do you want, and it was something else. I said, no, I'm good. My phone buzzes again. I'm like, okay. And I look at it. It's my son again. Dad, do you want this? And I'm like, what's going on? And so finally I texted him. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, Julie, that's his wife. Julie watched this Netflix show called Marie Kondo. <laughs> Have you heard of this? You know who I'm talking about? She's a Japanese woman, and her specialty is getting rid of stuff. <laughs> and so that's what my son and his wife were doing. They were... Marie condoing uh, uh, their house. And so instead of throwing away, he was asking if I wanted this. 
And that's what Peter's saying here. You need to apply yourself here, to put aside, to lay aside, to organize this stuff that doesn't belong, that you don't need, and to lay it aside, to get rid of it, to remove it, uh, get rid of it to allow yourself to have space for something else. We're creating space. If you have no margin, you have no space, and this results in stress, right? We become stressed because we have all of these things. You know, God wants us to do this, but because I'm envious of my neighbor, I can't talk to him. I've got to set that aside so that that relieves the stress and begin to have that relationship with my neighbor to be able to have what's necessary. No margins, no space uh, results in a focus problem, right? You, you just begin to have this narrow focus and you're all crowded around. I'm up here on this platform. As I'm standing on this platform, you're like, wow, that's a lot of space. But if I come off, off to the edge here like this, the moms in the crowd are going, the guy's nuts. Get back, get back, get off the edge, right? And that's how we live sometimes. We live right on the edge. and There's no space. There's no room for something else. And so when we remove these things, we begin to have space and we have margins to be able to do what it is that God has called us to do. Set these things aside. Uh, when we have no margins, we have no space, relationships suffer. You know, if you are not guileless, if you remove malice, if you don't remove the envy and things like that, relationships suffer. Relationships begin to, to kind of be tense. You know, dad looks at the, the teen, you're always on your phone. <laughs> Create some relationship stress because there, we're no, there's no margins there. Or, or you are always talking about money. Because you're stressed, because you've not created any space, no margins. Peter says, let's start this thing out with a healthy diet. And to have a healthy diet, you need to remove certain things. And these are the things that you remove. These old ways of life. You are new in Christ. And so now you have this opportunity to get rid of those things. The second way in which... To create this healthy diet, to have margins in your life. He, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this in uh, verse 2. He says, uh, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. Uh, the second thing he tells for us to do is receive the word of God. The negative, remove. The positive, receive. Oh, the word of God. Newborn infants as babies long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into your salvation. We start as babies, desiring milk. Uh, We lay off the old, nourish ourselves with the word of God, and we begin to have a healthier life. Now, please notice that uh, Peter is using this, he's saying like, right? Uh, This is not Peter encouraging us to act like babies. (laughs) He's not saying you need to be like a baby and act like a baby. That's not it. I've mastered that, right? I'm good at that. But he's using this as an analogy, a newborn infant, a new birth. Have you experienced a new birth? Are you dependent upon something, the Word of God and God the Father? Are you growing? That's what babies do. They grow. Babies are unabashed, right? They're, they're, they're not embarrassed by things. They, they just take the milk and keeps going. And he's saying, this is what I want you to be. Uh, Paul uses this idea of longed for a lot. Uh, Peter's using it here, but Paul used it several times. He used it for longing for an effective ministry. 
That's what he longed for. Paul used it, the longing for heaven. I can hardly wait to get to heaven. I long for heaven. Uh, Paul talked about longing for love, the love of the people, the believers, longing for that love, longing for fellowship, to be with other believers. He longed for that. This idea of longed for is, is the word for lust. That's a drive. That's a really intense kind of longing for. And Peter is saying, long for the word of God. Love it. Go after it. Uh, this is a compound Greek word. And because of the compound nature of it, there's an intensity. And some even say this is a command, an imperative. That Peter is saying, do this, desire, long for, crave this spiritual milk. David knew all about it in Psalm 42, verse 1, where he talked about longing for uh, the word of God like a, a deer longs for water, uh, panting for it. Uh, in my own life, of course, I'm a little bit removed from babies. I, I have two sons. One's 21 and one is 33. And, um, but I have um, nieces and nephews. My sister, I have three older sisters, and I have nieces and nephews. And in the last seven years, there have been ten babies born in the last seven years. And so you can imagine Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, it's a riot, right? And, and you remember the, the nursing babies. Uh, uh, whenever the baby is hungry and when it's ready to be nursed or fed with a bottle, you remember how patiently and how marvelously the baby would wait. You, you know, the mother can be right in the middle of cutting her turkey and getting ready for her meal. And the baby kind of cries, and the mom says, just wait a minute, let me finish mine. And, you know, of course, you remember the babies, they just lie there in a docile way, waiting for you to get done whatever it is that you need to do, right? Do you remember that? <laughs> you don't remember that. The thing you remember is no matter when, right? Wait a minute, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm hungry. Uh, that's fine, I'll wait till 7 when you're up. It doesn't happen that way. This longing, this craving, uh, the baby craves, desires, long for. There is an intensity that is there. Uh, there is this lack of fear. The baby is unabashed, right? The baby doesn't go, oh, I shouldn't really be eating in front of you all. <laughs> Instead, the baby is going after it with great intensity, right? Uh, that's how we are to be towards the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Long for it. Now, I, I don't know how else to say this, but to say it, and that is, notice what Peter says. Peter says, long for. He doesn't say read. He doesn't say study. He doesn't say teach. He doesn't say preach. He doesn't say search. He doesn't say hide. He says, long for it. Desire it. What happens when we long for and desire it? Then we read, study, teach, and do all those things. Long for it. He says the pure spiritual milk of the word. The rabbis used uh, that kind of description to describe God's law. So again, the readers of First Peter or the listeners to the letter would, would immediately register with God's words. God's law is like milk. And so they could very easily make the translation. Uh, he's talking about the, the scriptures. He's talking about God's word. And it is pure. It's unadulterated. It's, there's nothing added to it. It's, it's perfect for what you need to nourish yourself. 
Now be careful here. Sometimes what happens is we see the word milk and we think of pablum, right? Or we think of something that's rudimentary. And so we're thinking what Peter's talking about is I need to be involved in the rudimentary things of, of, of Scripture. That's not what he's saying. Now we start there, but we, we move up. Right? We go up in what we're eating and what we have. Uh, it's like, for example, whenever you listen, you're like, okay, I'm a little confused here. What do you mean by this, that, and the other thing? And, you know, and you begin to grow and pretty soon you're, you're doing more things. So it's not milk. It's a little bit more substantial. That's not what he's doing here. He's saying this is about the word of God. You should crave it all. You should want all the Word of God to bring it into your life, this nourishment of this spiritual, rational nature that you can bring into your life. You know, so I want to be healthy spiritually. I want to create margins in my life so that when God calls me to do something, I'm ready, I'm healthy, I can step up to do it. So I'm going to spend more time on my Twitter account. I'm going to spend more time Instagramming. I'm going to spend more time with my Facebook Right? I mean, Facebook, what a wonderful place to learn so many pleasant things about everyone. Right? I'm going to spend more time in, in listening to political podcasts. I'm going to find ways to plug into that person that I agree with so that I can have... You're saying, that's goofy. That's crazy. Instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to open the Word of God. I'm going to spend time reading the Word of God. And I'm going to set other things aside so that I have the space to do what I need to receive the Word of God. And that's what Peter is saying here. He's telling us we are, we are into the Word of God, not to impress, not to, to draw attention to ourselves, but to grow, to get stronger. He says that exactly, right? He says, uh, uh, like newborn babies crave our spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have seen the sin in your life. And as a result of that sin, you have said, Jesus, save me by the blood that you have shed on the cross for me. And give me the power that you have secured as a result of your resurrection from the dead. Give me that power so that I can experience salvation. And then I begin to drink in and devour the word of God so that I am able to grow in my salvation. I can become stronger and more capable of doing what it is that God wants me to do. You say, well, how do I do that? You're veterans, many of you. You have your method down. You have your way of doing it. Uh, Tim Keller is a a, a guy that I I read and uh, watch, and he reads five psalms a day. I have another friend that reads one Proverbs every day. There's 31 Proverbs, so Proverb a day in the month. I have a friend, he never reads the Bible through unless he does it chronologically. You know, the Bible, the way that it's written, it's, it's, there's a chronological way of doing it. There are all kinds of things that you can do to read the Word of God and to bring it into your life and to make it a part of nourishing who you are. You see, the greatness of our spiritual life comes as a result of growth. And growth comes when we drink in and devour the Word of God. Some of you are sitting there and you're saying, you've got to be kidding me. How can I possibly add one more thing to my life? (laughs) I know, I know. But let me just try to help you to see something here. The thing to see here is that this is necessary 
This is needed. This is transformative. This is God's word. This is so vital to what it is that I want to be so that I can be used by him. The word of God becomes a priority. Sometimes I I think we don't read the word of God because we don't want to change. We like the way we are. No, it's comfortable. But that's not where we are. What God wants is for you to devour the word of God so that you become something different than you are now. He doesn't want you to be the same today as you were yesterday. And the thing that brings growth and change is this consuming of the word of God. Margins, creating these margins through a healthy diet. We remove, we receive. Do any of you watch the show Shark Tank? Heard of Shark Tank? Shark Tank is where these entrepreneurs are lined up and you come in and you tell them something. And the, the question that every Shark Tank person, doesn't matter who it is, they always ask the person that's wanting an investment, they always ask them about their margins, right? What are your margins? And the guy says, well, I've got widgets that I can have landed for two cents and then I sell them for $400. And I was like, whoa, wow, that's a great margin. <laughs> this morning, let me ask you this. What is your margins in your life? Do you have any space? Are you ready for God to say, I would like for you to do this? Are you able to listen and hear the call of God because you have that space, because you've removed these things, because you've received the word of God? Uh, Please notice the the third way that we create this healthy margin is in verse 3. Peter says this. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good... The third thing is to remember how good God is. Remember how good God is. Uh, Peter says this. He says, uh, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, uh, again, I'm, I'm not trying to speak disparagingly of whoever does the translation work here, but that word if should be the word since. So I don't know if you mark in your Bibles, but circle if and write the word since. Because Peter is saying, you have done this. He's not saying, well, I hope you've tasted this. He's saying, you have. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, remember, he talked about the salvation that is ours. He talked about the salvation that we possess. So he says, you have already tasted that the Lord is good. In a very rudimentary way, you have experienced the salvation, the deliverance. He says, since you've tasted that, there's more to it. God is good. Tasted. It's the idea of to enjoy. To learn by experience. We are to desire the word of God as those who have already tasted the goodness of God. We have already experienced the goodness of God. The Lord is good. So, again, looking back at our salvation, we always have that as a point of reference. The cross is always available to us to remind us that God is a good God. Uh, Never. Are you allowed to use never? Okay. Don't, don't miss the reality of the salvation in your life and ever forget that part of it. 
Because as a result, we can always say, God is good. Because I can always look back and say, He took me out of this life and brought me into a new life. God is good. There is always, the no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, we can reflect back and say, listen, I've tasted the goodness of God. I know that God is good. Think about your gift of salvation that God has given to you. And that always gives you that point of reference of saying, God is good. Uh, circumstances are difficult. My, my checkbook is empty. My savings is drained. God is good. He will provide. He knows how to take care of you. If we think about the taste of love, of mercy, of grace that we have because of the cross, uh, then we want more. We have experienced the deliverance from sin. Now I want more. I don't want to just be saved. I want to be more. I want to be more of what God wants me to be. Now here, here's the, the problem though. Sometimes the reason why I don't want to remove things, sometimes the reason why I don't want to receive the word of God is because this has never happened to me. I have never tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, You see, dead things don't grow. Dead things don't change. Dead things are dead things. So this morning, I'm asking you to please... Look inside your heart and see if you have indeed done what he's talking about here. If you have tasted the mercy, the grace, the love of God as a result of the cross and what Jesus has done for you. And if you have been in that spot where you have received Christ, then remember how good God is. And remove the things in your life that you don't need and receive the word of God in your life. Uh, Like I mentioned to you, in my family, we've had 10 new nieces and nephews in the last seven years. Uh, most recently, three, three weeks ago, we had one, a little boy that was born to my niece, Leah. And uh, he came to our house on July 4th. And uh, eight pounds is not a lot, is it? And when she brought him into the house, he's eight pounds, 21 and a half inches. And it's just amazing how little he is. And... With all the others that are a little older, can walk and talk, what do they do? They all go around the baby, oh, you know, and they all want to touch it and feel it. And, of course, there's always the one person that wants to smell babies. Oh, that baby smell, I just have to, don't laugh, it's true, (laughs) all right? There are people like that. And we're all celebrating, and it's so happy we're, you know, the mom's great, the dad's beaming, and the little baby just looks beautiful. And everyone's so happy about the birth and so excited and all those kinds of things like that. Let's dial ahead at Christmas. What happens at Christmas if Leah walks in with her baby and he's eight pounds, 21 and a half inches? That's five months from now. If he's only eight pounds, what are we all going to be doing? Is he okay? Is he all right? Is there something wrong? Are you feeding him? Then dial ahead another six or eight months. She walks in. Is she proudly displaying an eight-pound baby, 21 and a half inches long, in a year? Instead, we're all like, what, what's wrong? Why isn't your baby growing? Heaven forbid that that happens, but heaven forbid that that happens in our spiritual life. That we taste and see that God is good, and then are happy with that. 
we're happy with being born. Instead, we should be happy that we can remove these things from our lives. We can receive the word of God into our hearts and we can grow and create space to do what it is that God wants us to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for how good you are. We know that because of your kindness and mercy and generosity, we have been able to spend time in your word. We've been able to sing songs that remind us of how powerful and marvelous you are. And God, our hearts just become quickened and alive with the excitement of a service that generates this kind of feeling. And Father, we ask that as we conclude, that we would take the mindset that we want to be more. We want to have growth and development so that when you call us to do something, we're ready to do that. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.